Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Give Them the Sports Biz. It's Dan Bone coming to you from San Francisco, California. Join, like always, representing the East Coast in New York City. It is the NFL agent, the agent for all sports, that being one, Matt Marino. Matt, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, Dan. Um, we got some, you know, some big news. We got NFL we can talk. We can talk uh, some Disney, maybe, um, Amazon, A-Rod. We got a full, uh, a full slate, right? We sure do. And speaking of Disney, speaking of the NFL, We'll go there first because that is really what's making sort of the off-season headlines, if you will, when we're talking about the business side of sports. And that, of course, is because the new TV deal, the TV rights deal, all the conjecture and all people have been waiting for this thing to surface for a couple of years now. And now it's in front of us. And everyone's been so curious in terms of what it is that the NFL's asking price is going to be. And that obviously elevated because of the hit they took this past year and the billions of dollars they lost as did just about all professional franchises with COVID. And as we understand it, now this, this won't be done until mid-March, I, I believe, but mm-hmm. the NFL is looking to double, essentially double their, asking, their current asking prices, meaning that all those, all those network franchises, the ESPNs, the ABCs, well, I don't know if Disney's involved. Yeah, they are. With well, ESPN, ESPN yeah. CBS and NBC and Fox, what they're paying currently is going to be doubled at least. And some of those already exceed $1 billion. Let's talk about the new TV deal, some of what we've heard, and your thoughts in terms of those current teams that, or those current networks that are rights holders. Will they, do you think there'll be any movement? Will there be any changes in terms of networks bowing out because the price is too high? Yeah, so it's it's a lot to unpack. It actually goes back to um, probably like December 19, January 2020. So before the pandemic even hit, um, something that popped up was that the NFL and NFLPA uh, had a year left on the CBA. And um, one of the things that the league and the players union wanted to get done really was the league pushing. They were saying, look, we want to have labor peace for 10 years, you know, prior to doing these these massive deals because – the league felt that there could be an opportunity to basically increase their, uh, their TV rights hundred um, percent. And those are mostly for the, the three letter networks, right? NBC, CBS, Fox. Um, that's where they were, you know, kind of thinking. Um, and I think just like what you said, you know, you know, companies like that, um, you know, they're probably looking to accept that increase. Um, you know, they're looking to, to go, you know, hundred percent higher than what they are now. I think, you know, something that is a little bit different. And we touched talked about Disney, which is obviously, you know, uh, ESPN, essentially, um, you know, in 2011. So the last time the CBA was up, uh, Disney committed, you know, basically two million, two billion dollars, you know, one point nine billion um, for their deal that runs through 2021. Um, and they're the ones that are they're, they're a little pushed. They're pushing back now. Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of where the NFL is right now. So they, you know, the NFL went to like close to 4 billion, uh, per year in its new deal. Um, and, and Disney basically shut that down. Um, you know, I'd say straight off the bat, you know, I don't know how quickly, but, um, you know, clearly that was, that was too much for them. Um, I think one little thing, a little bit of a wrinkle that, that comes to the table now is, 
you know, clearly the NFL, you know, they were looking to really set and finalize the TV deals, um, hopefully before March. And, you know, the reason they were doing that is obviously, like you just said, you know, coming off the pandemic, revenue was down in stadium, merchandise, parking, concessions, all those things. Um, and then it affected the salary cap. And, you know, first off, the TV rights, a new agreement increases the salary cap. Um, obviously, you know, the NFL could could be, you know, preparing to eliminate two preseason games as it's going to add a 17th game. Um, you know, so there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, but I think, you know, kind of the wrench that's thrown in is, you know, streaming networks like an Amazon, right? Amazon Prime is, you know, not to no pun intended, in prime position for Thursday night to take that over. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of factors here, you know, kind of at play. Let's stay with Amazon. Could that be the future of not only the NFL, but sports and, and viewing audiences as we see it going into sort of that digital arena? I think so. You know, I, you know, and I think that's their, that's their goal, right? Um, you know, you've seen Amazon or, you know, Amazon has been very aggressive uh, in their sports acquisitions. And so far it's been original content, right? You've seen them do a lot and a lot on, on their prime network, you know, original series content. And I think this is where they kind of make a, a push and make a move into, you know, live sports. Um, they have a little bit going on with uh, the Italian soccer league, Serie A, you know, possibly the Bundesliga, um, you know, Amazon obviously being a global company, but being headquartered in, in the U S um, you know, the big, you know, the, the top of the totem pole is certainly the NFL. Um, I think, you know, you're starting to see what is possible, you know, with a, you know, with an Amazon or an Apple TV possibly in the future, you know, maybe a Disney plus uh, situations like that, you know, and, and another thing you have to think about too, with the NFL on Thursday night, you know, is that that's split, you know, really it's shared with the NFL network. Um, you know, so it could be a good entry spot for Amazon to kind of test the waters there. Yeah, I'm not sure if we mentioned that when we talk about Amazon potentially getting into the bidding war, it would be for Thursday night football. And a lot of the reason why is because there is a vacancy. The other major networks have bowed out and said that they don't want to pay that sort of a high price for the Thursday night game, which apparently doesn't give a lot of return and or value. So they don't uh, want to pay the exorbitant amount of money, but you can see somewhere where Amazon, it would make sense because they're, they're obviously staking claim and sort of uh, they would pay for, for the, the capture, if you will. And for the PR perspective is, as far as becoming the first uh, pay-per-view, if you will, or digital company yeah. to land a major American sport. Speaking of this deal, we, we, can't, we can't talk about the networks without mentioning NBC. Because NBC has just got away with what has been absolute highway robbery and not a lot of people get over on the National Football League, but NBC has been able to pull that off. Yeah. NBC has, it is the top rated primetime show. And I'm talking about Sunday Night Football. We all know it. It's a fabric of our sporting life as far as Chris Collinsworth and Michelle Tafoy, and of course the great Al Michaels. And it's, it's a program. They do the pregame show and then they do the game. And it's, it's a program that, that does better than anything, anything on, on, on television today in terms of primetime, anything that NBC owns 
And they have paid $950 million for the rights over the last 10 years. Now, that's annually, $950 million annually. That sounds a lot, obviously, respectively speaking, but it pales in comparison to the $1.1 billion that you just mentioned in terms of ESPN. And everybody, if I'm not mistaken, is over a billion dollars. And not only do they have the Sunday night rights, but they keep in mind that they have that, that flex schedule, right, where they can pick... Yep. From some of the other networks and after i believe week five is when that flex schedule kicks in where they can take the premiere or the marquee matchup that specific weekend and they can pilfer and take from the likes of fox or cbs and say no we want that game on our air and oh by the way yeah we are playing paying annually less than everybody else and we just so happen to be the number one rated show thank you very much for the nfl that is going to change they are going to be looking to be paying through the nose when this new deal comes up because everybody knows, including the other networks, how they've, they've been able to get away with it, as well as the NFL. There's nothing the NFL can do because they had contractual obligations over the last 10 years. So that $950 million can easily go over potentially $2 billion. Your thoughts on NBC, not only what they've been able to get away with, but potentially they could be paying going forward. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, you got, so, you know, just in comparison, right, you're talking about, you know, NBC Sunday night, you know, nine fifty, like you said, you know, the next night you're talking about 2 billion, um, you know, so Sunday to Monday is a, is a massive change. Um, you know, obviously that is going to be one area um, that, that has to be, you know, redone and probably like you said, you know, redone in the favor of the NFL, favor of the NFL owners um, because they feel like they've obviously been undervalued and, you know, NBC has been getting, you know, you can call it over on the NFL, uh, you know, certainly since, um, you know, since that deal, you know, went into, went into place a decade ago. I think also, you know, one thing we even left off was DirecTV, right? They're still involved. And, you know, ESPN Plus is one of the ones that are, you know, that could possibly swipe a package from DirecTV, the Sunday ticket package. Um, I think the other thing that's, that's kind of interesting. So right now, um, the three-letter networks, right? CBS, NBC, Fox, they're the only ones that have the Super Bowl. It's a rotation between the three of them. Um, you know, one thing that, that ESPN slash Disney is considering is, you know, do we move off Monday night and not value that as much and throw ABC in the mix, you know, for Monday night football and the Super Bowl? You know, remember, you know, when we were younger, Monday night football was on, ES, was on ABC. It was nationally televised. You know, it was on a national network. Uh, it wasn't cable. You know, so I think those are – those are all scenarios, but I think for, for going back to NBC a little bit, um, clearly, you know, <laughs> you know, they're, they're going to have to double these, you know, the nine fifty. I think that's what you're looking at. Um, you know, the prime time, the, the, I think it's the, they have the one number one TV show in prime time, like you just said, um, for like a decade. Um, the pregame obviously is, you know, off the charts, the studio show, um, you know, and then obviously the Super Bowls that, that NBC has as well, um, you know, are averaging, you know, well over, you know, 110 million viewers, um, you know, so I think you're talking about, you know, probably doubling, um, you know, what um, NBC is, is now spending on, on broadcast rights. As this relates to the players and who better to know than you, would these TV deals is – does the the NFL Players Association do they do they get a piece and a percentage of of the the new contract as of as of March? 
Yes, they do. It's a small piece. Um, and this is actually one of the reasons, you know, uh, why there's a little bit of pushback within the NFL Players Association and players right now. You know, you're talking about, you know, they did this deal, the CBA I'm talking about now. They did the CBA year early. And Damar Smith, the executive director of, of uh, the NFL Players Association and the, and the PA, the union itself, um, encouraged uh, the players to get this deal done, the CBA, a year early. It wasn't expiring until 2021. But obviously, you know, with the, the looming uh, thought that, hey, look, our television revenue can double, um, you know, players' revenue is going to double as well. And, and that's really, you know, one of the things that uh, stirred, you know, stirred the pot a little bit, um, you know, certainly, you know, I, I think obviously it's, you know, it's, a, it's basically a 1% increase in total revenue is what it comes out to. Um, and the players, you know, certainly feel that. Um, do they feel it, you know, in the same sense that the NFL owners feel it? Not a chance. You and I both know that, right? It's, it's like a casino. The house always wins. Um, you know, so that's, it's unfortunate. You're not feeling it in the same manner. And I think a lot of players actually right now, you know, feel like a little bit like the, uh, the wool has been pulled over their eyes a little bit. Um, you know, they were told, look, you know, don't commit to 17 games. Don't commit to 18 games. Um, you know, hold out, you know, we don't want to get this deal done. Don't ever, you know, don't, don't ever, you know, uh, you know, uh, show owners that, you know, you're open to, to playing more games for the same amount of money, you know, don't undervalue yourself. And, you know, when this was proposed then, you know, probably like four or five months later, maybe six months later, um, you know, after some conversations with Damar Smith and, and Roger Goodell and some uh, high profile owners, uh, it, it kind of, you know, they made a pivot and, you know, the player association went, went a little bit about face and uh, changed their stance on, on 17 and 18 games. There's a new word that's being bannered about, although it's been around for quite some time, and that is SPAC. I'll let you break it down. It's a special purpose acquisition mm -hmm. company. Yep. And SPACs are getting into the sports space, and we're seeing that more and more this past week. Alex Rodriguez, A-Rod, put together a SPAC that uh, went public, uh, a $500 million IPO. I'll let you sort of break down exactly what is, uh, I'll give sort of the overview and maybe you can, you can get a little bit detailed, but it, it's, it's essentially, it's like a shell company. It's, mm -hmm. it does, it's nothing more than holding money and a lot of it, $500 million for this SPAC from Alex Rodriguez and their partnership with Antera. But that money just, it has no commercial use. There are no employees, but they are looking to acquire and they're looking to acquire other companies. And the investors, they essentially call it a blank check. And it's a blank check investment. It's a blank check firm. And the blank check comes from that these investors and or sponsors, which fund the $500 million, are writing blank checks in that they don't know what they're acquiring. They don't know what the acquisition is going to be. They're relying on the, on the likes of Alex Rodriguez and the operational group to in, in the context of, of, of sporting SPACs to, to pick something in sports and entertainment or to acquire something in sports and entertainment that obviously is going to have a huge return. But that's where the blank check part of all of this comes into play. But I'll, I'll let you go ahead and sort of pull back the layers and talk about what a SPAC is. And will we ever see a SPAC, one of these, one of these shell companies 
whether it's led by, by Alex Rodriguez. We know A-Rod, how badly he wants to own a Major League Baseball team. Last year, tried to put together a firm and put together a, an offer for the New York Mets and fell short. Could this be an avenue for someone like Alex Rodriguez using a SPAC to purchase a professional baseball team or a SPAC to get into ownership of professional sports in the United States? So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's kind of a lot to unpack, right? Um, you know, there's, there's a couple, you know, that kind of come, you know, we can, we can start anywhere with this really, but so as of right now, I think, you know, the best way to describe it is that, like you said, blank check company, they essentially have, you know, between I think 12 and 14 months, you know, to make an investment in the categories that uh, essentially their thesis outlines. Right. And a lot of these are, are obviously very general sports, entertainment, media, gaming, technology, um, you know, and so far, thus far, uh, a lot of these companies um, are investing in overseas European soccer clubs, uh, CVC Capital Partners, Bain Capital, Sinven. Um, you know, they basically took a look at, you know, European soccer, especially Italy, as a devalued acquisition, right? It's undervalued. Um, you know, they should close the, be able to close a deal in a short period of time and and it's, you know, thus far has, has been going along. Uh, there, I think there's three teams that have been acquired in the last probably maybe eight to 10 months. Uh, Parma was one of them. Spezia was just acquired by Mike, Michael Dell's essentially holding company. Um, you know, so those are two in the top flight. And, you know, there's other companies that are set up to, to have, you know, shares in, uh, uh, in, in other European soccer clubs. Um, another company uh, took some, you know, took, I think a 74% ownership in Burnley um, uh, in England, in, in the English Premier League. But right now, uh, the reason you're seeing so many, of them, so many of them go to Europe is because they technically are not permitted to own in any of the US sports yet. Um, now, private equity is a little bit different. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is so, so thus far, there's one company uh, that's allowed in the NBA as a private equity firm, it's DYAL. Um, and essentially, they're the only ones, uh, you know, permitted, I would say, to touch, you know, a fund, put a fund together that is multiple, you know, has minority ownership in multiple franchises. And the thing you have to remember about the U.S. versus Europe is that in the U.S. there's a revenue share um, and Europe does not have that, right? So it's, it's a very different financial setup. Um, the other thing you have to remember too is that uh, Europe has um, promotion and relegation, right? As a, the U.S. does not. Um, you have stability here in the U.S. Um, you're essentially, you know, like I'll give you an in for instance, you know, the, the group that acquired Parma, when they acquired Parma, I believe they were in seventh or eighth place in Syria. They're now in, I think, 18th place and possibly being relegated. That's a massive, massive hit for them. Um, so if you're part of that SPAC, you know, you're certainly concerned. Um, good thing is if it's in the U.S. and you're part of a SPAC and eventually, you know, one of the four major leagues, uh, sports leagues allow SPACs to have an interest in a uh, minority interest in, in professional franchises. Um, you don't have to worry about that. You know, it's you kind of get, you get rewarded for doing poorly here. You get the top draft pick. Um, so it's a little bit of the opposite here. Um, so I think you're, you're seeing all these pop up. I want to say in the past or in, in 2020, I would say 
there was, um, I think it turned out to be over 80 uh, special purpose acquisition companies filed um, in the sports media entertainment categories. Um, so it's almost, you know, now it's become, you know, there, there's too many, you know, SPACs out there uh, for what you're trying to do, um, especially without the, you know, the allowance of, of ownership in U.S. sports. Yeah, and if it's not, and that's interesting that they can't get into that space as far as owning or purchasing a professional sports franchise here in the United States. But what they are doing, and maybe this is, this is obviously white hot right now, but it's sports and gambling, and mm-hmm. gambling technology companies. And certainly I think DraftKings, which they went public with their SPAC last April, and there's been a huge return. And we know the success over the last couple of years with, with DraftKings. And, and that is sort of the, the template, if you will, is everybody is sort of, that's the bar. Set a, get a SPAC, get into sports technology, and you can be, as far as an investor, you can get reap the returns of, of what, uh, what we're witnessing as far as DraftKings and what they're doing for, for their sponsors and those that, that put together that SPAC and were able to acquire DraftKings. I'm just wondering, sort of an overview, is sports gambling continues to make its, its footprint in sports as we know it. I think we're going to see more and more in terms of partnerships. We already have, but it potentially could change the way we view. So if you go, I don't think it's very, I don't think it won't, it won't be long from now where you go to a sporting event, go to Madison square garden out there in New York, Matt, and there will be, I can rest assured there will be a sports book right there in Madison square garden on level two, what have you. <laughs> there will be a sports book, just like you see in Vegas, where there'll be multiple screens. You can put, down a bet on any game there'll be in-game betting if somebody wants to bet on the second half for that Knicks game whether the Knicks will cover the line for the second half or whether I can't even RJ Barrett it's hard to talk about who's on the New York Knicks these days because they're so bad but getting better I like shout out to Mr. Thibodeau but RJ Barrett will RJ Barrett how many free throws will he miss in the second half or in the third quarter in-game betting I think it's going to be huge it can really change the landscape. And I know I'm sort of jumping around here, but could sort of change the landscape of sports as we know it here in the United States. And SPACs, as I make that connective tissue, these SPAC companies are sort of getting into that area as they recognize and, and sort of envision the future of sports gambling and, and sports as we know it uh, going forward from a viewing perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, the, the, you know, the pro obviously is that, you know, if a, you know, if a league is turned into a SPAC or a private equity company, hedge fund, whatever you want to call it, you know, essentially you're getting more capital for its league. Um, you're soliciting more capital for its league. Um, it can strike deals quicker. Um, obviously it can make owners more liquid if they have, um, other endeavors outside of a, you know, outside of a, uh, a franchise, a major league baseball franchise or NFL, NBA, whatever it might be. Um, you know, NBA valuations right now are, they're going up, man. Um, you know, you're talking about, I think the average price is now over 2 billion. Um, and the last two that sold, I think the Brooklyn Nets and Utah Jazz, they both sold for 2.4. Um, you know, now obviously, um, you're talking about, uh, an arena on top of that, um, in Brooklyn, at least, I don't know what they did out in Utah, but yeah, you know, I think you have a, a great point, you know, when you get into gambling, and 
I, I actually think one sport that gambling really does well with, especially in game live is, is major league baseball. And, you know, in Europe, it's been like this for years. You, you walk out into the concourse and you see the, you know, the, the books out there, the bookmakers, right. You see them on the way to the, on the way to the stadium, you know, you might see a dozen of them, you know, just putting in tickets, um, not just on the, the line or the total or the spread, but who's scoring, you know, the, the final score of the game. And then I think in, you know, if you if you go on you go into baseball a little bit, the pace of the game is is so great for gambling. You know, you have in between pitches, next pitch, strike ball, hit, walk, you know, run, you know, whatever it might be, foul ball, you know, it's uh you know, you're you're playing the lottery. Um every pitch you can play the lottery essentially. Um, you know, and that's what I think could be very valuable for baseball. Uh really change um, you know, uh their kind of their revenue structure. They're so dependent right now, you know, major league baseball comparably to the NBA and NFL is so dependent on game day revenue, merchandise, concessions, parking, you know, 81 home games, right. Filling up the stadium. That's what, you know, gets them through. That's what gets them their money. Um, You know, the NBA NFL obviously have massive television deals. So, you know, they can, they can support um, a little bit of a, a little bit of a dip, um, but yeah, Major League Baseball, I think, is probably the one that is the uh, you know most incentivized to, to to earn something from gambling. Yeah, you're right. There are so many prop bets and so many opportunities, and the pace of the game is ideal for for not only jet. Well, I mean, you can also think about it from from a consumer standpoint because what is what what has Major League Baseball really dealt with over the last decade plus in terms of popularity, and that is that that's the operative word is that they they are are watching a fan base that is getting older and in terms of the millennials and in terms of their consumer base, it is, you know, it's just too slow and it doesn't, there isn't, there isn't a connection with today's, you know, whether it's Gen Y or Gen X and what better way. I mean, they thought every year you hear about the rules committee talking about, okay, what do we do so that we make the sport more attractive? Let's speed it up. Let's go to instant replay. Let's, you know, because the game, the, the the game is is so long, and it's 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 something that is that just does it, it, if you're one of those, you know, if you're in that millennial space, it just you don't have the attention span oftentimes yeah. for it. So what better way than to throw some spice on it in terms of okay, well, how about betting and betting on baseball as far as getting people in butts and seats? You, you mentioned Europe, and really that sort of is the template, is it not? When you talk yeah. about because they've been doing it for so long, and the United States is just playing catch up because. Sports and betting in Europe, and namely in football, and I'm talking about soccer, European football, they've been doing it for quite some time. And the United States needs, to, if they want to know how to do it and do it correctly, then just look abroad because Europe has it down pat. And there doesn't seem to be any problems. I don't know why it's taken so long for everybody to legalize it here in the United States. Just look at Europe, people. But it's oh. it's it really is sort of, I mean, all you have to do is sort of look at the way the UK functions, right, Matt, in terms of how we potentially could be five to 10 years from now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know in 2000, I don't know what it is in, in 21, but I know in 2019, 2020, half of the Premier League teams in the UK uh, had betting sponsors, right? So that's 10 teams. Um, I'd imagine it's more in, in 2021, um, you know, 2020, 2021. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is something that's been around, you know, for years, I think also, you know, one of the biggest things in Europe 
it's very different than the U.S. is obviously, you know, when you see the jerseys, you have a sponsor on it. Um, a lot of these are now betting sponsors. Um, you know, it opens it up to different parts of the world. Um, you know, it, it grows the game globally. You know, I can remember jerseys when I was a kid, you know, seven up on Fiorentina, Mars Bar on Napoli, Sharp on Manchester United. Um, you know, it's going to open up people's eyes and they're going to, you know, obviously, you know, relate to that, um, you know, something new, you know, could be, uh, look, it's, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen in, you know, three years or 13 years, you know, DraftKings and the Yankees sleeve or, you know, FanDuel or, you know, bet three, six, five, you know, on the Packers, um, you know, obviously the NBA has come around on this with the Jersey patch. Um, I think, you know, the NFL, I mean, sorry, the NHL, um, you know, added the, uh, the helmet sponsor this year uh, because of the pandemic. So I think the pandemic is, is going to certainly uh, change the, the viewpoint a little bit, um, you know, and, and I think SPACs and private equity, you know, that's certainly one way to, you know, um, essentially, you know, uh, increase interest, right? You know, the NBA is, you know, one of the ways they're doing it is they're just, you know, rounding up stakes in clubs and they sell to, you know, like a private equity firm who sells, you know, limited partnerships to private investors. And, you know, similar to gambling and a lot more people have an interest um, and that's engagement. And that's what, you know, you're looking for. And that's what young people are looking for. And I think other leagues, you know, the way we kind of always say it, you know, at work is that the NBA is the most, most innovative. The NFL will figure out how to make money off of it. And it, traditionally MLB, you know, will be on the back burner and, you know, has screwed it up in the past. Um, and hopefully Major League Baseball takes advantage of what they have right now um, in the betting market and, and goes forward with it. Engagement. You nailed it on the head. I think that's where we're at right now as far as professional sports and how they attract viewership and that consumer base and obviously creating revenue streams, additional revenue streams. All right, Matt, until next time, this is Dan Avone out here in San Francisco representing the West Coast for Mr. Matty Marino out in New York and the East Coast, obviously. Until next time, reminding you to give him the sports biz. So long, everybody. All right, Dan, see you, man. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.